Well, good morning, Embrace. I am Holly. I'm part of the staff team here, and, and a big part of my role is working with our campuses and our campus teams and our campus pastors especially. And uh, your campus pastor, I don't care which campus you're joining us from today, it's your campus pastor. He, he convinced my husband and I that, that real life, that you're not truly living until you've lived on a farm. Well, we felt for it. And uh, my husband and I, we bought this old hobby farm a few months ago. And so to date, we're about $4,632 into raising chickens. And we don't have one egg, not one egg. Not at all. And so I sat down last night and I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? If they lay eggs soon, as long as we sell the eggs for about $18 a dozen, we're going to break even in year 12 on this adventure. So I want to thank all of our campus pastors for giving us an incredible retirement plan. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but I love our campuses. I love our campus pastors and their wives. And at every one of our campuses, we have something super exciting coming up, Ninja Camp, okay? How many parents of school-age kids have signed your kids already up? You've already signed them up for Ninja Camp. Oh, goodness, y'all, we've got a ways to go here. Okay, you've got to sign your kids up because here's the deal. Our kids team has done an incredible job building something that your kids would beg to come to. See, earlier this year, we sat down and we thought about doing a traditional vacation Bible school, which we've done in the past. It has been amazing. But what we realized was that a lot of other churches are already doing that. And that as the kids uh, get familiar with the program after they've been, a few, been, been there a few times and as they get older, they're less likely to come back. And as a mom, I feel like Vacation Bible School is a little bait and switch. I'm not going to lie. You tell me that I get four free nights out. I drop my kids off. I get through all the lines, all the traffic, drop them off, get in the car, and I get out to dinner. And the second the food arrives, what do you do? Oh, crap, it's time to go get the kids, right? Right, it's not a real date night. So here's what I want to tell you about Ninja Camp. It is an entire day, moms. It's an entire day. That means you can take a shower without being interrupted. You can go to the gym. You can go to Target and Starbucks. You can go to lunch with your husband all day long, the whole day. And your kids are going to have an amazing time. They're going to get to see what it feels like to be a real American ninja warrior. They're going to get to uh, stretch themselves physically, build some teamwork. And more than that, they're going to hear what God says about a champion, how God defines success. So sign them up today and let's put some biblical truths in their hearts that will last them a lifetime. Okay? Can we do that? All right. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Ruth. Ruth is in the Old Testament. Go ahead and open your Bibles up to there. We'll jump in in just a moment. So I grew up with three sisters. And in our little community, we were known as the Dwyer Girls. And our town, they like to play this game that I called Sister Superlatives. Now, my sisters and I, we hated this game. We never participated, but we were always told the results. And it usually went something like this, you know, Holly, our family decided last night at dinner that we think Melanie is the prettiest Dwyer sister. We think Christy is the smartest and, and Katie, she's the most athletic. And, and well, you, Holly, you are the friendliest. The friendliest? Like seriously, <laughs> of all the superlatives, I'm going to get the friendliest. And every single time, it didn't matter which ones they chose, I was going to get the friendly one or the social one. And so after, after uh, a lot of time <laughs> to adjust to be in miscongeniality of my family, I have, I've come to grips with the fact that I, I, I'm not the beauty queen. I, I, I'm not the smartest in the room. I'm definitely not the most well-behaved. 
But see, if I'm going to be honest, sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, I have a hard time reading stories where it is about the beauty queen or it is about the smartest person or the, the perfectly behaved person because I find myself thinking, of course God blessed her. Of course God helped him. Of course God calmed the sea for him because they were perfect and that's what they deserve. But I'm not that perfect and I'm not that deserving. And often I, 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 I sit there and I wonder, would God calm the storm for me? When I'm not that deserving. Or have you ever had this thought? Would God calm the storm for me even if I caused the storm? Have you ever done that? And maybe you didn't full out cause a storm in your life. But maybe you had circumstances, some bad circumstances that came into your life that were completely out of your control. But if you found yourself in a bad situation and yet you made decisions that exacerbated the situation. Is anybody else like me? Have you ever found yourself there? I have a son. He was blessed with my mouth. <laughs> this kid has got something to say about everything, everything. And his brother can be in trouble. It's not even him. And he can't stay out of the situation long enough to save himself. I mean, he just jumps back and forth in the, in the conversation. From, he goes from telling on his brother to defending his brother, back to telling on his brother. And more times than not, we have to stop the conversation with his brother, look at him, and say, stop. You are making a bad situation worse. Have you ever done that? Have you ever had circumstances that were completely out of your control, but you made choices that exacerbated the situation? Yes, the economy crashed and it cost me, but I did buy a house and a, and a car and a boat I couldn't afford. And well, the economy, it just never crossed my mind. <laughs> Have you been there? If you're like me and you've found yourself in situations like that, I believe that today will encourage us both. We're going to pick up in, in, in Ruth, the book of Ruth. What, what's awesome about Ruth, it's in the Old Testament. And what, what I love about the Old Testament is that it gives us uh, pictures of Jesus. These stories and these characters that tell us what Jesus was like, what he was all about long before he ever walked the earth in the New Testament. And so today we're going to learn about Jesus' character uh, through the story of Ruth. Now there's two other characters in this story that we're going to talk about today. It's Ruth, Boaz, and Naomi. Now Ruth and Boaz, they have this Disney-like love story, okay? They, it, it, and I know it's not true, but from everything that, that I can tell, Ruth sounds like the perfect one. I mean, everything that we read in the Bible, she was perfect. She, she, she studied instead of partied. She, her and her husband did this gender reveal party that got like a million likes on YouTube. I mean, you know, she, she went on all the school field trips. She, she made Mickey Mouse-shaped pancakes that were gluten-free, you know, that kind of perfect. She never talked bad about a coworker. And, and, and then to top it all off, she's got this high school musical-like love story that's still being told 2,000 years later. Okay, that's the kind of perfect that I got to unfollow right away on social media. Like, we just ain't doing that, right? You guys understand that? So I'm going to do us all a favor. We're going to unfollow Ruth for today, and we're going we're gonna to look at a sideline character. Her name is Naomi. She happens to be Ruth's mother-in-law. Now, Naomi, I can relate to. She is a hot mess. She is a mix of bad circumstances and some bad decisions. And although it's Ruth and Boaz that have this love story, I want us to look at the unfolding relationship between Naomi and Boaz. I want us to see how Boaz cares for Naomi because you see, Boaz is our picture of Jesus. And I totally get it. I get how Boaz or Jesus could love Ruth. 
She's perfect. She deserves to be well-loved. But I want to see how he cares for and how he loves Naomi, the unperfect one. Okay? And so here's a little bit of our backstory. Now, Naomi has a husband. She has two sons. They're Israelites, which means simply that they serve the one true God, the same God that we're here worshiping today. But what it also means is back then, God did something very special for each and every Israelite family. He gave them each a piece of land. I mean, he handpicked a piece of land. He gave it as a gift to each family. And that land was supposed to stay in that family for generations to come. Okay, so Naomi and her husband have this land, this gift from God. And it's supposed to stay in their family. But what happened was, (laughs) uh, so what happened was that the economy started to crash in Israel. And Naomi and her husband decided that the economy in a neighboring country looked much better and that the grass looked greener on the other side and so that they were going to get the heck out of town. They decided to leave, go over here where the grass looks greener. But what we need to understand was that in that culture, that decision to leave this gift, this land that God had given them was in essence them leaving their God. They didn't just ditch their land, they ditched their God and they ditched their God for grass that looked greener on the other side. And how many of us have found ourselves in the exact same situation? How many of us thought the grass looked greener on the other side and we fell for it. We gave it up a gift that God had given us. We traded in his blessings. Maybe God gave you the blessing of family or of a great marriage. And sure, your spouse was going through a tough time. But you traded them in. You opened the door up to someone else. And it cost you the gift of family. Maybe, maybe you had a peace of mind. You used to have very sweet sleep. And you traded it in for a quick fix, a quick numbing. And now you're battling this awful desire every single day. We gave up the gift of peace. The grass looked greener on the other side. He looked like a better husband. The promise of a quick buck sounded like a great business deal. The thought of forgetting my stresses for just one night sounded so alluring. The grass looked greener on the other side and I fell for it. I had no idea It was going to cost me my family. I had no idea I'd go bankrupt. I had no idea I would become addicted. It was a poor situation, exacerbated by an even poorer decision. This is where we find Naomi. Naomi leaves this land. They leave their God, and they they go to this new country. Once in the new country, both her sons marry. That's where Ruth comes in the picture. She's now Naomi's daughter-in-law. And quickly things go from bad to worse for Naomi. Both her husband and her two sons die. At this point, Naomi's lost everything. Everything. She no longer has this gift, this land that God had given her. She has no husband. She has no sons. She has nowhere to go and no way of supporting herself. She is at rock bottom. She is hopeless. Except. Except, and with God, there's always a small except in every situation, no matter how hopeless it may look. There was one thing that Naomi heard about, and she, she heard through the grapevine that the economy back in Israel was starting to turn around. And so Naomi decides, you know what, I may have to crawl home, I may have to hang my head low, but I am going to go home. And never take for granted if you have a place that you can go when the entire world is crashing down on you. You know, my entire extended family, they live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and there are just days. 
I mean, there are just days that I find myself thinking, man, if I can just get to Charlotte, I may have to eat crow, but if I can just get there, people who love me, people who believe in me will be there. And did you know that that is the exact same hope that we have as a church here today? That, that no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've traded in, that if you can just get here, you are going to be welcomed here at Embrace. So Naomi, she does this, and she, she decides that she's going to head home. She takes her daughter-in-law, Ruth, she goes with her, and together they crawl home to Israel. And when Naomi gets to Israel, her friends rush out to meet her, rush out to tell her how much they missed her. And I want us to read in the Bible the very first thing that Naomi says to her friends. Uh, in Ruth chapter 1, in verse 20, Naomi says this, Don't call me Naomi. She responded, Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. And I really wish one of her friends would have just butt in right here and said, Naomi, I mean Mara, Naomi, whatever the heck you want to be called, at least you are home. Can we just stop and celebrate that at least you are home? If you are here today, you may be here a little more banged up than the first time you tried church. You may be a lot more desperate, a lot more empty, but we can stop and celebrate that at least you are here. You are in the position and place for God to intervene. See, God can do something with his children when they come home. No matter how banged up you come home, God can do something with a child that comes home. And so I wish one of her friends would butt in and say that, but they didn't. And so Naomi goes on and says, Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? You see, Naomi is telling her friends that God did this. He did this to me. He caused all this to happen. He took my sons away from me. He allowed my, uh, my husband to die. And isn't it so much easier when we find ourselves in tough situations to still believe in the power of God but lose all our faith in the goodness of God? See, she believed that God could do all of this, but she had lost complete faith in the goodness of her God. Would he? Would he? And we do the exact same thing. And here's the honest truth. As a child of God, it is easier to lose faith in his goodness, but a God who is powerful and is not good is a very, very scary thing. It's a very scary place to be. And this is where we find Naomi emotionally, but not only that. There's another part of this, and I think it's the saddest part of all. See, Naomi didn't just trade in God's blessings. She traded in her identity. She said, remember she started this story as, the, as Naomi. And Naomi simply means pleasant. It means, it means agreeable. It means beautiful. That's who she was. But she's saying, don't call me that anymore because I'm no longer that person. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter. Call me bitter, call me angry, call me ticks because I am angry. I am angry at God. You see, she didn't just trade in her blessings from God. She traded in her identity in God. And it's one thing, guys, to find ourselves in situations where we've traded in our blessings from God. It's one thing to give up what's been given to us. It's a complete other thing to give up on what's been put in us. And that is the dark place that we find Naomi in. And this is where the story gets good because this is where Boaz enters the story. 
And just know this, Jesus enters the stories in some of our darkest, darkest places because he's not afraid of our dark emotions. Even when they're directed at him, he's not afraid of them. And so one morning, Ruth gets up. So they've been in this new land in Israel for, or back at home in Israel. And uh, they're, they're starving. They have no food. They have no money. And Ruth, Ruth wakes up and she decides, you know what? I'm going to go out and see if I can find some work. Maybe if I work all day long, somebody could just pay me with a few scraps of food. And we can just get a small little meal in both of our bellies to sustain us for a few more days. So Ruth does that. And she finds this field to work in, a farmer's field, and the owner of the field is none other than Boaz himself. And so Ruth works all day long, sun up to sundown. she works. She's expecting Boaz to pay her with just a, a few small scraps of food. But Boaz doesn't do that. He lavishes an abundant amount of food on her. He keeps pouring it into her arms. Here, take this, take this, take this. And, and Ruth leaves that day with an enormous amount of food. And so she goes home, she walks home to where her and Naomi are staying, you know, and she, she's got to like kick the door in because her arm is so full with food and corn and stuff is falling out of her arms and she kicks the door open and when Naomi sees her, so you see Naomi, what is she probably doing? What we all do when we're bitter, she's sitting on the couch watching Netflix and drinking some wine, right? And so there's Naomi sitting on the couch and she looks up and she sees Ruth with this arm full, full of food. And she flies up and she says this in, in, in Ruth chapter 2, verse 19. She goes, where did you gather all this grain today? Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. And Ruth is looking at her and she goes, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I work for this farmer and I, I think his name was Boaz. I work for this man named Boaz. Naomi says, may the Lord bless him. He is showing kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Now, I know those words family redeemer sounds weird to us as a cultural thing back then, but here's what we need to understand. Naomi is starting to put the puzzle pieces together. And what she is realizing, see, remember I told you that when God gave these Israelite families this gift of land, that land was to stay in the family. And so there was this cultural law to help a family that if a man died, to help that land stay in the family. So if a man died, one of his relatives, if he had the money, could get first right of refusal to buy in that man's land. So he got first choice if he wanted to buy that land. But there's one small caveat to that. <laughs> Not only did he have to have the money to buy the land, he had to be willing to marry the widow of the deceased husband. So he didn't just get to buy the land. The land came with, some people might say a blessing, other people would say baggage. <laughs> um, but regardless, if you bought the land, you got first right of refusal as a relative, but you did have to marry the widow. And so I like to think about it this way. If I lived, if I lived in the culture back then and something happened to my husband, I really needed a kind cousin with cash. You know what I mean? Like I needed a cousin that believed cash is king, a cousin that went to Financial Peace University, right? <laughs> but not only did he just have to have cash and, and have the money to be able to fix my situation, but he also had to be kind because he had to be willing to marry me and help carry on the legacy of my deceased husband. So he had to be both kind and he had to have cash. He had to be both kind and powerful enough to fix the situation. And Naomi is starting to put this together. Boaz is a cousin with cash. Boaz can fix my situation. He has the power to fix everything that I messed up. He has the power to stop this situation and turn it around. 
But not only that, when she sees this lavish amount of food that he paid Ruth with, she's realizing that Boaz is also a kind man. He's not just powerful, he is kind. You see that that food didn't just fill Naomi's belly for the first time in a long time. It filled her heart with hope. Maybe there's an answer. Maybe there is someone who is both kind and powerful enough to fix this. And Ruth, uh, Naomi becomes alive with hope, and that's exactly what hope does in every one of our situations. We're in a dark, dark place. The moment hope enters the picture, we become alive again. And so I want us to look at this. And um, Ruth chapter 3, Naomi, she's starting to act like a mother-in-law here. Now listen to her plan. She's got a plan. She's going to mobilize us all to it. She says, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath, put on perfume, dress in your nicest clothes, and then go to the threshing floor. Notice where he lies down. Go and cover his feet and lie down there, and he will tell you what to do. Now that's some cultural things there, but basically what you need to do is, what we need to understand is that she told Ruth, get yourself cleaned up, look your absolute best, and then go ask this man to marry you. But don't just ask him to marry you. I want you to ask him to redeem my situation. I want you to ask him to buy this land and deed it back to me. You know, she's got a plan here, and she's going to get Ruth involved in her plan. She reminds me of my mom. <laughs> um, she, and, and, and don't be offended by this by any means. It worked out in my favor. But uh, my mom sent me to college more to find a godly husband than she did for me to get an education. And here's how I know that. Because as a freshman in college, when my mom was dropping me off, these are the last words she said to me in my dorm room. She said this. She said, now, Holly, I know that money's going to be tight. But, honey, you're going to have to work hard. And you're going to have to keep those blonde roots touched up. You're going to have to keep going to that tanning bed. Sorry, I was a 90s girl. That was totally legit then. To keep going to that tanning bed. And you're going to have to get you a pedicure at least once a month. Because here's the deal. If you... When you meet your husband, if you are doing these things and he falls in love with you with highlighted hair and nice tan skin and nice nails, he will forever consider those things maintenance costs. But if you meet your husband and you got roots growing out and pasty skin and your nails aren't nice, I'm telling you, it'll be extravagant purchases in his book and it will never make the newlywed budget. She knew what she was talking about. I've never had to ask to get my hair highlighted, no matter how broke we've been. But (laughs) totally beside the point on that, except for that she was a mom with a plan. And she knew what it was going to take to make this happen. And so did Naomi. Naomi was telling Ruth the exact same thing. Listen, girl, you need to go get yourself cleaned up. I mean, shave your legs, wax your eyebrows, go get you a spray tan. There is no filter for real life. You need to look your best. And then I want you to go down here and I want you to ask Boaz to marry you. But not only that, I need him to redeem me. I need him to fix my mess. And because Ruth is perfect and submissive like that, she does exactly what Naomi asks. And guess what? Boaz says yes. He says, yes, I will marry you. But not only does he just say yes to Ruth, he says yes to Naomi. He says yes to fixing her mess. Look with me in Ruth chapter 4 and verse 13. says that, so Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. 
And then the women of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has provided a redeemer for your family. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. Naomi took the baby, baby and she cuddled him to her breast and she cared for him as if he were her own. Boaz bought back what Naomi traded in for greener grass. He bought her land back. He deeded it back to her. But more than that, she never even asked for it. He gave her a son, a son to raise as her own, a son that would carry on the, the, the legacy of her deceased husband. He didn't just buy her land back. He bought her legacy back. And Boaz is awesome. But Boaz is simply our picture of Jesus. And did you know that Jesus would do the exact same for you? Jesus would buy back every single thing that you've sold off. Teenager, did you sell off your innocence? Do you know that you have a Jesus that will buy that back? He will make you as pure as the whitest snowfall you've ever seen. Did you sell off your peace of mind? Jesus will buy that back. You will have sweet sleep again. Did you sell off your contentment? Did you sell off hope in your marriage? Jesus will buy that back. He is our redeemer. He fixes the mistakes we made and he buys back what we sold off to the enemy. And not only that, in closing, I want us to see one more thing that Jesus buys back. <clears throat> Remember that Naomi... She started this story as the agreeable and the pleasant one. And somewhere between poor circumstances and poor decisions, she changed her name to Mara. She changed her name to Bitter. She let her circumstances define her and change who she felt she was inside. I don't know if you guys can relate to that, but I sure can. I totally understand that. I totally get why she changed her name couple, the last two years, I would say, in my own personal life have been two of the hardest years I've ever had. I've had, been battling a struggle for two years straight, every single day. Started with a bad situation. It started with some friendship betrayals, with some pain, with some failures, with some accusations. But what it did, it sparked an anxiety in me. And I've struggled with it every single day. I've never struggled with anxiety up to that point in my life. And now every day is defined by a pounding chest, a heart that races to the point sometimes I think I'm having a heart attack, a dry mouth, the inability to sleep at night, a feeling of impending doom. If you have anxiety, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I remember one day I was talking to my girlfriend and I said to her, I said, I don't even, I don't even know who I am anymore. I don't even recognize myself. Essentially, I was saying exactly what Naomi said. Don't call me Holly. Just call me anxious. Don't call me strong. Just call me weak. And my girlfriend, she looked at me and she said, absolutely not. I am not doing that. This is something that you are going through, but this is not who you are. You are a child of God. You have been bought with a price. You are one of the strongest women and one of the bravest people I know. This is not who you are. You are Holly. 
And Naomi's friends reminded her of the same thing in Ruth chapter 4 and verse 17. It says that the neighbor women said, Now at last Naomi has a son. Naomi. I didn't call her Mara. She's not Mara. You don't get to call her Mara. She is Naomi. She is pleasant. She is beautiful. She is agreeable. She is Naomi. Sure, Naomi made some mistakes. Sure, Naomi screwed some things up. Sure, Naomi was bitter. But guess what? Naomi has been redeemed. Naomi was bought with a price. She is no longer Mara. She is Naomi. And Jesus would say the same thing to you today, that I can fix any situation, whether it happened to you, whether you caused the situation, or maybe it was a little mix of both. Jesus is saying, I can fix that situation. I can buy back what you sold off. But more than that, I want to buy you back. I want to buy you back. We were bought with a price. We were bought with the precious blood of Jesus. And when he climbed up on that cross and he spread both his arms out, he said, sure, sure, I'm going to pay for her mistakes. Sure, I'm going to pay for her screw-ups. But more than that, I am paying for her. I am buying her. She is mine. The world no longer gets to define her. The world no longer gets to sink their claws into her. They do not get to destroy you. The Bible tells us that once we are put in Jesus' hands, once we are his child, nobody, nobody can pluck us out. And Jesus, my friend, has bought you back. And he is saying, do not let those circumstances define you. Do not let your failures define you because I have bought you back. And he says that you are not bitter that I have bought back your joy, that you are not an addict, that I have bought back your freedom, that you are not a failure, I have bought back, back your success. You are, you, are, you are not finished because I have bought back your future. You are not tainted because I have bought back your purity. You are not your diagnosis because I have bought back your health. You are not anxious because I have bought back your peace. This is our Jesus. This is our Redeemer. And whatever place you find yourself in, know that we have a Jesus that is both powerful enough and good enough to put us all right back on track, to give us our second chances, and to redeem anything that we sold off to the enemy. But more importantly, he buys you back. If you do not know this Jesus, I encourage you to talk to one of our pastors today. Let us introduce you to this Jesus. Thank you, guys.